Today, church, we honor our pastor, Pastor Josh. Go ahead and please be seated and put your eyes on the screen up here. Growth, a stage or condition in increasing, developing, or maturing. It is exhibiting maturity, being better today than yesterday, critically thinking, self-examination and evaluation, personal reflection, understanding the cost, increasing in intelligence, wisdom, and experience, influencing and impacting others, and improving spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Growth is the refusal to become stagnant, self-complacent, apathetic, or arrogant. Growth is moving ahead, moving forward, moving on, and moving up. Growth is never settling. We are privileged to have a pastor who has pushed us to move ahead for the last 11 years this month. He dreams big. He prays hard. He laughs loud. He gives always. He loves passionately. He teaches intently. He encourages selflessly. He preaches unabashedly. He mentors assertively. And he lives righteously. For 11 years, Pastor Josh has pushed, pulled, and carried Christ Point Church towards growth. He's never expected or asked for anything he wasn't willing to give himself. He's always been the first one to jump in, always leading by example. You strive for discipleship, spiritual maturity, and growth in all you do. Rob Siltonen, founder and CEO of LinkedIn, said this, People who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. You're not just crazy enough to think this, you're actually doing it. Pastor Josh, God has placed in your heart a desire to see people grow, change, and become what God has created them to be. You're fearless, ready to move, and excited to do something great. Today, on this Pastor Appreciation Sunday, we want to give you, Christ Point, a few areas in which he exceeds what growth means. Pastor Josh, we here at Christ Point love you more than you know, and today we celebrate you and your dedication to growth. Thank you for being you and doing all you do. We get to honor you now. There we go. Hey, uh, can we honor Pastor Josh one more time? Are you excited? Are you thankful that we have a pastor who is not only growing himself, but he is always pushing us to grow? Always pushing us to grow. Uh, pastor, what an honor it is to, uh, to get to celebrate you and honor you today. Uh, trying to imitate you in one of the things that you do best, and that's bringing the word and encouraging the people. And uh, so it is truly an honor to be here with you today. I hope that we can uh, all do this justice, because uh, certainly we have one of the best preachers, if not the best preacher in the entire nation uh, at this church as our pastor. So, amen. Uh, so since I'm the missions pastor, I think it's appropriate that we uh, look at the Great Commission today, if, if that's okay with you. Uh, so my letter for the word growth is G. Uh, since I'm up first, it made sense that that's G. So uh, we're going to talk about gospel-centered, gospel-centered, and I want to show you in the Great Commission how that applies to not only you, but Pastor Josh as well, and how that affects our lives. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and I'll be brief. There's a lot of stuff we could talk about here, but we'll be as brief as possible. Uh, I'm reading out of the ESV. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Somebody say all authority. All authority. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now what we often focus on is verse 19 and then the first two-thirds of, of verse 20. The go therefore, make disciples, all those things, and, and proceeding up to uh, teaching them all that I've commanded you. That's what we usually focus on as the Great Commission, and, and it's appropriate. That is very applicable to our lives, very valuable, important for us to remember and do. Specifically, we like to focus on the go, the go therefore. Uh, now, again, we don't have time to get into everything today, but that go is, is one of the participles in that, in that uh, entire statement and is not the center part of that verse. It's make disciples. Make disciples is the, is the command there, and then the go, the baptize, and the teach all support that. Those are functions of that. And so that's not what I want to focus on today. Uh, instead, what I want to focus on are the things that, that bookend this, specifically verse 18. Now, I think it's appropriate. I think it's very interesting that, uh, that Pastor brought this word forth today, uh, talking about the promises of God. If you, if you look, and this is, this is an addition here. I wasn't planning on saying this, but uh, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And at the end, he says, behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So I think it's uh, fantastic that God has already told us today to depend on his promises and his truth and his power. And then here again in this verse, it, it declares that again. So just, uh, just remember that, hold on to that, that the promises of God are yes and amen. You can depend on him. And he's telling us that right here in his word. Uh, but I want to I look at uh, the fact that there's a therefore that begins verse 19. It says, go therefore. That therefore tells us that this, the rest of what's said depends on what has come before. And that is the all authority or all power, depending on the translation that you read, has been given to me. Uh, so the verse 19 and the 20 are what I would call the Christian life. I wouldn't call that just discipleship. I'm going to call that Christian life. Because the, the first part, that go in your going, as you're going, throughout your life, in your daily walk, do these things. Make disciples, baptize, all those things. This is not just uh, Christian witness or evangelism or uh, some event. This is the Christian life. This is your daily walk. And it's dependent on verse 18, which says, all power or all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So if our Christian life is dependent upon that all power being given to him, then what's the basis for that power or that authority being given to him? And I think that's the gospel message itself. Why is Jesus able to say that all power or all authority has been given to me? And as I thought about this, it, it, it really seems like there's a, there's a couple answers here. The, the first, the most obvious, is the fact that he's God. That's number one, he's God, so all power and authority was already his. But then he says, has been given to me. And so what else is going on there? I, I think that that's his obedience in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So the gospel message becomes the basis for our Christian life, becomes the basis for everything that we do. In other words, we are to be gospel-centered. If we're gospel-centered, then the Christian life will look like this go therefore into all the nations and baptize them and, and to teach them. Okay, so the gospel message, this gospel-centered life is what Jesus is commanding us to be. And I am so very thankful that we have a pastor who models this day in and day out. We, you know, we could have talked about a bunch of different words. The, the first word that came to mind when I looked at G was generous. 
Uh, Pastor Josh is the most generous man I know, but it's, it, that's not fundamental. Fundamental is the fact that he's gospel-centered, and that affects the rest of what he does. And so for us today, for this congregation, this body of believers that are, are learning and growing under Pastor Josh, we have to remember that this is fundamental and foundational to our lives, that we have got to be gospel-centered. Everything that we do has to come back to this gospel message, the fact that Jesus is God, the fact that Jesus has lived this perfect life and has died and was buried, but then he was resurrected. And we can depend on that. We can know that. And we can live that out in our daily lives because we have been resurrected with him. And one day uh, there will be the final resurrection into life eternal. So uh, my encouragement today to you from this uh, great commission that we normally look at as mission only. We talk about it on Mission Sundays. We, we talk about it at the missions convention. We talk about it when we have missional events. Uh, it's not just missions. This is daily life. This is your Christian walk every day is to be gospel-centered. Remember to be gospel-centered and to live out all these things that Jesus commanded us because we can know that He is with us always to the very end of the age. Pastor Josh, thank you for demonstrating to us the gospel-centered life and for pushing us towards that on a daily basis. Uh, we love you and appreciate you very, very much. Another aspect of growth is resiliency, something my pastor is phenomenal at. Resiliency is the ability to, one, recoil or spring back into shape after bending, stretching, or being compressed. Two, the ability to withstand or recover quickly from difficult situations. Three, the ability to become strong, healthy, or successful again after something bad happens. This tree behind me is an excellent example of what resiliency truly is. I don't know what kind of trauma the tree sustained. I don't know if a tornado blew through, if it was struck by lightning, if it was bulldozed over. I have no clue what happened. All I know is that it excelled through what should have been a devastating blow. It should have died, but instead grew. It grew into something unique and beautiful. It grew into something that memes are made of. It bounced back from its worst day. Resiliency is the ability to continue growing no matter what is thrown at you. Everyone in this room knows that life is full of ups and downs, rights and lefts, wonderful blessings and horrible circumstances, commitments and abandonments, laughs and tears, beautiful stories and tragic outcomes, loyalty and betrayal, faith and fear. We can all agree that life often seems like a speeding roller coaster and circumstances, both positive and negative, can be sprung upon us in a split second. Some of these circumstances are the blessings that we've waited for and been praying for, but some have the potential of turning life upside down. When dealing with these things, there are two types of people, the issues that could turn life upside down. The ones who run towards the issue head on, regardless of what the outcome may be, and the ones who cower down, refusing to face the problem. How we engage and react to these situations is a direct reflection of where we are in our personal growth, our emotional maturity, our journey with Christ, and our spiritual resiliency. After you've been beat down, you've been stretched, bent, compressed, do you bounce back? After something horrible happens, do you respond 
in a way that points back to strength and health again, or do you simply shut down? There's a story of an extremely resilient man in Genesis 37 who was very, very loved by his dad. But because of this, his brothers hated him so much they planned to kill him until an older brother intervened, convincing them not to. Of course, right after that, then after what seemed like he was being saved, another brother convinced them to sell him to a group of slave traders heading to Egypt where he was sold to Potiphar, an official of the king, the captain of the guard. Potiphar immediately saw God's favor on Joseph's life and promoted him to the head of the household. Very soon he was finding and, and receiving success, bouncing back after just being sold away from his family. But Potiphar's wife had other plans. She'd apparently noticed some things she liked, and she came onto him so heavily that he took off running. Unfortunately, he left his jacket and he was accused of rape. Now, he's in jail. Here, he quickly gains favor again. He interprets a dream for one of the king's servants, but the guy who promised to mention him to the king totally forgot about him just a few days later. Each time something good happened, something bad took its place. This guy could never catch a break. I don't know if I could have taken that. I don't know if I could have handled everything that, that he endured without cracking. But Joseph never allowed his dilemma to become his destiny. His focus remained on, on God, and his growth never falters. He was a, you, if you know the story, and, and I encourage you to read this story later if you're not familiar with the story. It uh, starts in Genesis 37. But he eventually was called by the king, and, and ultimately he became the second in command. He was able to help his family, the same ones that betrayed him, receive salvation from a famine. And how, how many of y'all in here know that growth has occurred when you can bless the people that betrayed you? That, that's, that's when you know growth is there. Joseph's resiliency led to his maturity. What was once taunting his brothers because he was dad's favorite became training for everything that would be put under his direction. We grow through what we go through. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, in the contemporary English version, Paul wrote, we often suffer, but we're never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us. And when we are knocked down, we get up again. We get up again. If you faithfully experience Christ's presence and power in your life through a devoted relationship with him, there is nothing. There is absolutely nothing that will be able to cause you spiritual defeat. The circumstances might still seem unbearable. Your human gifts or talents, as Pastor said a few minutes ago, may seem exhausted but in those times, God's power and his resources are given to increase your faith, your hope, and your strength. God is a God of resiliency. I personally know someone who regularly experiences Christ's power through a life devoted to God. There is no one that exemplifies resiliency more than my pastor. What you see with him is what you get. What you see behind this pulpit is no different than what you see in a restaurant. However, church, what you probably don't always see are the things that he has to deal with that might cause another man to cower down, refusing to face the problem. 
It's through his devoted relationship with Christ and his endless quest to grow in that relationship that he has overcome, that he has conquered, that he has defeated whatever the enemy has tried to throw at him. I thank God that Pastor Josh knows that no matter how tough a situation might be, he will grow through whatever he has to go through. He is resiliency personified. Pastor Josh is the man who runs toward the issue head on, regardless of what the outcome may be. And I witness this weekly. It's been said that tough times never last, but tough people do. We often describe Pastor Josh as loving, compassionate, and encouraging, and he is definitely all those things. Every one of us in here can agree on that. But we need to remember that he's also tough, determined, and resilient. Pastor, thank you for bouncing back when you've been bent, recovering when things have been difficult, and staying healthy, walking in maturity, and perpetually growing when bad things happen. Church, never stop being resilient in your growth. The, uh, the letter that I uh, chose to talk about when we're talking about growth is obedience. And that's not always a positive, or we don't, that's a very positive thing, but we don't always think of that. It's on kind of like work. But I'm very glad that we have a pastor who exemplifies obedience in every level. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go around, kind of around, this, around the tree to get to what obedience is. But I'm going to start out, and, and Pastor Brandon has talked about some of it, and Pastor Lewis, you have too. But when you talk about obedience, I'm going to start out with love. So there was a guy who came to Jesus, and he said, what's the greatest commandment? So Jesus, in Matthew 22, 37, he said, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He said, that's the first and the great commandment. So I can say, and I look down at Pastor Josh, and I can truly say, walked with this guy beside him for about five years in many different situations, a lot of different levels. I can truly say, I don't know anybody who loves God with all their heart, their soul, and their mind any more than our pastor does. So thankful for that, Pastor Josh. Now, how do I know that? Amen, amen. So how do I know that? Well, also, Jesus, uh, in, uh, in the 14th chapter of John, verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So I can also say that about our pastor. Again, in the five years that I have walked with him and walked beside him in a lot of different ways, he has always, always been obedient to Christ. I, I can't think of a time when he stepped out of the Word and he didn't, he didn't do what, what the Word says or God told him to. I mean, this man has devoted to to living it out, to walking the talk and walking the walk. So, so thankful for that. So thank you, Pastor Josh, for that. So again, so let me see. So love requires obedience. So if we say, love, if we say we love God, we need to be obedient to God. We need to be obedient to his commandments. Thankful, Lord, that our pastor is. Now I'll go jump, jump a little bit to, to uh, Paul. And Paul said in the 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, be ye imitators of me as I follow Christ. That's a pretty big statement to say. Follow me, imitate me, be an imitator of me as I follow Christ. Now, I'm, I'm uh, again, I'm just kind of calls it as I seize it now type situation. But there's very few people that can do that. But I think this guy sitting in front of us this morning, that's who he is.
Now, I don't believe Paul said it because he was cocky, he was being haughty in any way, shape, or form. He just knew his commitment to God. He just, he, he loved God, and God was number one in his life. He did every single thing he could to serve God and walk in the ways. So he's saying, as I walk, follow me. Isn't that kind of what a shepherd could do or should do? That's our pastor. Should lead us, should guide us. Should, we should be able to follow him. We should be able to uh, follow that example. So uh, I like that about our pastor. And then, uh, so we talked about the love, and we talked about obedience, and then I, uh, Paul in... Um, he was talking to King Agrippa. He was standing before the King Agrippa, and he was actually giving the salvation plan to him. He was, he was introducing God to him and to, to kind of to lead him to, to God, to, uh, to serve God. And uh, he told him his whole, he had his whole story. Paul was struck uh, blind on the road to Damascus. Here he was struck blind and, and, uh, for a, a couple of days, and a man named Ananias was sent to tell him what he was going to do. This is, this is what he was going to do. This is what the calling on his life was going to be. So Ananias came and went to him. He said, there's three things. He said, Paul, he said, you're going to speak to the Gentiles. Wow, that's something that was kind of new at that time. You're going to speak to the Gentiles. You're going to preach to the Gentiles. You're going to tell the Gentiles about God. He said, you're also going to speak to the children of Israel. You're going to speak to them about God and the Jesus and the, the transformation. You're going, to, you're going to tell them about that. And also, you're going to stand before kings. You're going to speak to kings. And here he is standing in front of King Agrippa. And he was fulfilling the calling that God had placed upon his life. And again, as I look at Pastor Josh, I think he is fulfilling the calling that God has placed upon his life. And I don't consider myself to be a prophet in any way, shape, or form, but I will tell you that there's a lot more ahead for our pastor. God has used him mightily in so many different ways, and I love to just be in his presence and sit under his ministry and his anointed uh, service uh, and leadership. But man, there's more. God has more. You know what? I have every confidence that he is going to complete that. He is not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but he's going to do exactly what God has called him to do. So I'm going to finish up with three things because obedience is really important. It's not only important to pastor, <laughs> thank the Lord that he does it, but it's to you and me. We need to be obedient servants of Christ, obedient servants of God. So I'm going to talk about a man just who uh, actually kind of failed. So I'm going to flip if I can around here a little bit, and again, we'll do it very, very quickly. But in 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, uh, there was a, uh, two people kind of that were the main players there. One is Samuel, who was the prophet, and one is Saul. Saul was the king at that time, but in the 15th chapter, he actually loses his kingship. God takes away from him because of disobedience. Uh, in, uh, I think it's First Samuel uh, 20, uh, 22, 15, where it says that um, to obey is better than sacrifice. But let's look at Saul's life. First of all, it's in that same chapter, it says when he was little, and Samuel's talking to Saul, said, Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, God anointed you king over Israel. When you were humble, we need a humble heart. First point, if you're going to be obedient, you've got to have a humble heart. Here, so, so here is Saul. He kind of, he was at first. So God anointed, he gave him, he put him in that ministry. He gave him literally kingship over that. But he lost, he lost out when he started feeling pretty good about himself. You know what? I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody in this place that could feel any better about himself than our pastor. He's a pretty cool guy. He's done a lot of different things. Uh, pastor, you know, he could stay. Uh, he is a... Um, he could say doctor. You know, he's, he's, he could say doctor, Josh Pennington. You know, we could call him doctor. 
He could say bishop. He is bishop over the central district of the Pentecostal Church of God. He could say, he could say I'm an author. I think his book maybe went into print this past week, that book that he and Pastor Lewis wrote. Us. So it's coming out. So he could say all those different things. But I tell you, I've never seen him in any way, shape, or form be haughty, arrogant at all. As much as he has going for him, Pastor, I've never seen that in you, and I so appreciate that. Love you for that. I absolutely love you for that. Second thing is, is I'll tell you that motive matters. When you're serving Christ, motive matters. When we're talking about you're obeying Christ or you're obeying God, motive matters. Where Saul got in trouble is God told him, said, you go to the Malachites, they're the enemy, you kill them all. Every single one of them. You not only kill them, but you kill their cattle, you kill their sheep, you kill their donkeys. You kill them all. Get rid of them all. They're the enemy. Get rid of them. Rid of them. So Saul goes out and he does that, except... He didn't kill King Agag, and he took the best of the sheep, the best of the cattle, the best of the donkeys. And as the, the scriptures kind of allude to it, and I'll, I'll say, I wonder if it wasn't because there was a parade that was going to happen when he went back to his people. Because if he killed the Amalekites in their land, nobody would see that. But man, if I, tell, if I take this king and I lead him through, and then we kill him there, and we kill the cattle there, everybody gets to see what I have done. So when you're serving, when you're obeying, motive matters. Motive matters. So again, again, I love a pure heart. Don't you love somebody who you just, uh, you're around them and they just have that pure heart. You just know they're shooting straight with you. It is who they, you know, they are who they are. Uh, so man, and, and so pastor, I absolutely, absolutely love that so much about you. And then the very last thing, when you, when you think about that, we talked about a humble heart, you talk about motive matters, and the very last thing is you got to follow fully. you got to follow fully. We can't go, we can't say we're obedient. And, and Saul tried. He tried to tell Samuel all the things that he had done and how he was obedient, but he didn't follow fully. First of all, he didn't kill him at once. So he, did, he didn't, the timing wasn't right. So I think our pastor says delayed timing is not obedient, or delayed obedience isn't obedience. So we've heard that from time. So that, but he didn't, he, again, he just followed him halfway. So this morning, for us, the message from us is we need to, first of all, be humble. Second of all, we need to check our motives. And third of all, and the very last thing when you're thinking about that is we have got to follow fully. So, Pastor, I'll quit with that, but I thank, I thank, thank the Lord. I thank God, and I thank you so much that you are a, a pastor that we can, we can follow, that we can emulate you, and that you walk before God in such a humble, a holy, and a powerful way in obedience to Christ. Pastor Brandon, I don't know why you put me behind Pastor Doug, who apparently memorized this whole sermon. He's a human scripture Rolodex. It's hard to follow. My letter for Pastor Josh was W. Uh, it's an aspect of growth. Uh, I picked the word wisdom. And I'm taking my text from Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Uh, this is the New King James Version, and it says... Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the, ro and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, 
for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. The word wisdom is mentioned over 200 times throughout the scriptures. Uh, it was thought of as one of the most important virtues uh, among the Israelites, right next to kindness and just kindness and justice. Excuse me. When I think about Pastor Josh, wisdom is one of his most prominent and apparent qualities. Most of you would agree. One peek into the man's office and you'll see his desk is surrounded by hundreds of books that help him grow in wisdom and knowledge. If you look on his desk, you'll find five to ten books neatly organized that he is currently reading. Uh, and if you look through his phone, you'll find a host of contacts that are a simple call or a text away that are more than willing to give him advice and insight about any situation at any given time. He's reached into his own pocket to glean knowledge from church, church growth experts such as Gary McIntosh and others. He's gone to great lengths to keep himself accountable, always asking the opinions of his staff members as to how he can better himself or how he can better his sermons or his lessons. Um, he's appointed elders from the church, wise men full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom to give him counsel and guidance in matters concerning the church and the congregation. Um, it's apparent that pastor has put into practice the words of Proverbs 15:22, plans that go wrong for plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. Referring to our main text any man that makes a life goal of memorizing the words of Jesus throughout the Gospels is a man who has the heart to put Jesus' words into practice. Pastor's life is a prime example of a man who has built his house on the solid rock. How do I know this to be true? You might ask Pastor Ronnie, how do you know that Pastor Josh's life is built on solid rock? Well, I've known Pastor Josh for going on 12 years. I've seen him take a threefold position at Messenger College as the campus pastor, the resident director, and a professor with very little pay, and especially for dealing with difficult college students who at times did not want to be at Messenger College. Uh, I've seen him live on little pay. I've seen him get checks in the mail for $10,000. That's no secret. I've seen him live with little, and I've seen him live with plenty. I've seen him endure the storms of life, the loss of his mother, the loss of other loved ones. I've seen him struggle through hardships with his family. I've seen staff members come and go. I've seen members of the congregation come and go. I've seen him shed tears at the hospital bed, at funerals, and at gravesides. But I can honestly say there's one thing that I've not seen. I've never seen him fall. I've never seen him falter. In every season of his life, no matter what cards has been dealt to him, no matter what hand has been dealt with him, he's always been a man of consistency. He's always been a man of prayer. He's always been, been a man of reading his Bible. He's always sought after wisdom, no matter what life has dealt with him. 
Is he perfect? No, of course not. He's a human, but he's a wise man, he's a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And because of that, I'm confident to follow him as he follows Christ. Pastor Josh, we appreciate your desire for growth in every single area of your life. We appreciate your transparency, your willingness to hear from your staff and your congregation. You've said it once before, and I respect this attitude. You've never heard a bad sermon. You can always take something away from when the word of God is preached. We want you to know as a staff and as a congregation, Pastor Josh, here at Christ Point Church, we're behind you 100%. We love, cherish, and appreciate your leadership. And happy Pastor Appreciation Sunday. Thank you, Pastor Ronnie. I'm basically here for comedic relief. Uh, so I'm going to say a few things that probably will make you laugh. And uh, it just helps me out because if you're laughing, I know you're enjoying yourself. So... Uh, I had the letter T, and uh, don't, don't show it yet. Uh, we'll, we'll get to it in just a second. Uh, but I was looking up for uh, Pastor Josh uh, some words that could honor him uh, that began with the letter T. And uh, there were so many uh, adjectives that were there that I, I wanted to use several of them. And uh, so one of the ones I saw was top-notch. How many degrees we have a top-notch pastor? Amen. He's a... Uh, he's, uh, a sought-after uh, preacher in, in the PCG. A lot of people uh, ask him to do conferences and many things, and uh, we're just fortunate and honored that he is our pastor, and uh, I'm so thankful for that. He's a very thorough, uh, thorough man. Uh, he's, he's got it down. He's got, he's got planners. He's got calendars. He's, got, he's uh, recently went digital, and, uh, man, that's changed his life. I mean, he's, he's on top of it. I mean, you can't get nothing by this man. Uh, he will remember, he will know, and uh, you can't tell him otherwise. So, uh, He is a very trustworthy man. You know, I've confided in him uh, for many years uh, with things, and uh, I know that I can go to him because he's, he's created that trust with me. And uh, uh, he's walked with me through some, uh, some times in my life, and uh, many of you all know that he has been my pastor for longer than he has been here. Uh, he was my pastor when we lived in Kentucky, and uh, it's just been an honor to to grow under his his leadership. And uh, he's been he's been consistent in all areas. Uh, and I saw this word. And this is this is kind of crazy. Uh, the word totally tubular. How, how many's ever heard that word? You know. So usually that's you know. If, I guess if Christ went was out in California, we would say that pastor was totally tubular. You know, and, and that's usually described as uh, when it's describing some waves that the servers are uh, are riding and stuff. But that simply means excellent. Uh, he displays excellence in his life, and uh, it's just an awesome example. And then another one, uh, I saw the the word toned. Our, our pastor, man, he's getting toned. He's he's about ready to get ready for his wedding. Uh, he gets married in probably uh, roughly what two weeks, and uh, man, he's just been hitting the gym. He's just trying to get fit and toned and. Man, he's just—he's really come a long way in that area. So, uh, but moving on, let's 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 get serious. So, so I looked in the book of First uh, Timothy, uh, and this is where we see the qualifications of an overseer. And uh, I'm just going to read this passage, First Timothy three, uh, one through seven. It says, "Here's a trustworthy saving: uh, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task." 
Now the overseer is above reproach, faithful to his wife. I'm going to be faithful to you, Tiffany. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness. Now don't be drinking, Pastor. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. But he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so with a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be, in a, uh, he must not be a recent convert or he must not be conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And I agree that he is, he is such a, a man that, you know, displays all those characteristics. But another thing that I wanted to look at was the qualifications of just a Christian in general. And we find this in Colossians 3, uh, 10 through 20. And I'm going to read this from the message version. It says, Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the Creator with its label on it. All old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone defined by Christ, everyone is included in Christ. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Number 13 says, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other and step with each other. None of, none of this going off and doing your own thing and, cult, and cultivate thankness, thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Verse 17 says, Let every detail of your lives, words, actions, whatever be done in the name of the Master Jesus, uh, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. And this is for you, Tiffany. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in the ways that honor the master. So it talks about a wardrobe. And uh, so I got my brain thinking about, you know, a wardrobe. And anytime you get a wardrobe, you want it to fit right, correct? You don't want something that doesn't fit because then it's uncomfortable. But I thought of the word tailor-made. You can go ahead and throw that up there. This man was, was geared to, to be a Christ follower. And he... Uh, Every area of his life, like I said earlier, he's displayed it all the years that I've known him, and, and he's been uh, a great example and uh, someone I've always looked up to, someone I've always confided in, and someone who has, who has made a difference in my life. And I hope that he's made a difference in yours. Uh, so to, to move on, it says, When I think of this passage, it reminds me of the calling to be a Christian. It speaks of a lifestyle. It refers to a garment by which you put on, a covering. It talks about those who have come to Christ. Um, to a, who have come to Christ, there's diff, a different calling upon their lives, and that calling requires them to uphold certain standards. When I think of pastor's life, it is the epitome of what it means to be a Christian and also a leader. When I think of all of these descriptions, I see pastor upholding them all. 
So to say he was tailor-made, so to say it, he was tailor-made for this position. He has set a great example and continues to do so every day in his life. His desire to grow and to always be better is inspiring and has a, had a huge impact in my life. Many people know because I've shared those in the past of the differences that he has made. So as he was tailor-made for this, he has made this tailor better. Because my name is Sean Taylor, and, th and that's how I tied it back in. So I appreciate you, Pastor, for, for making a difference in my life and making a difference in everyone's life that you have encountered. Uh, I love you, and I appreciate you. Thank you. Pastor Stephanie. I love following the comedian. He just makes it better. All right. So I chose the word hunger. Because when I think of Pastor Josh, I think of hungry. Um, not because on more than one occasion at restaurants, he's ate food off of my plate. Or because I, I never finish all my plate. Uh, or because one time at Arby's, he said, can I just have one drink? And he stuck his straw in my orange uh, dream cream slush, whatever it is, to just get his one drink. Um, I don't think of him as hungry because he's always calculating calories and see if he can fit in another dessert at this time. Um, I think of him as hungry because of the notebooks full of healthy meals that I have that he has fed to me for, so that I could become more like Jesus. A starving person could never feed the way that he has fed me and fed us. Starving people can't feed people. Being hungry and thirsty and our, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot my scripture. <laughs> Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Being hungry and thirsty in our natural selves brings us to the table. When we're hungry, most of us do not ignore it. We go to the fridge, we go to the table, we go to that fast food restaurant that we said we were going to stop going to. Whatever it is, if we're hungry, we're going to make sure that we fill ourselves. And spiritual hunger and thirst are designed by God to bring us to the table that Jesus prepared for us. Whatever we feed ourselves reveals our appetites. And I'm going to talk about a couple of different appetites that we see today. Our appetites reveal our hearts. Some of our appetites are consumed with whatever we can do to make us feel good in the moment. Whatever we can consume to numb us out or fill us up or do whatever we can do to get our minds off of our issues. Our appetites can show that our hearts are full of things that do not need to feed us. God knows that we are busy and we're running and we're desiring to be fed, but we're not often taking the time to evaluate our appetites and what we're choosing to eat. We have a pastor, though, who has an appetite for the meat of the word of God. And every single week he comes in here and feeds it to us. Now, I've seen some of you guys, sometimes you're a little too busy eating apples and ignoring the meat that he shares with you every single week. You're too full of other stuff. Your appetite is revealing your heart. We wonder why our stomachs hurt. We need to get rid of our apples in here when he's feeding us this meat. Take 
Get rid of it. Eat the meat that he diligently prepares for you. He dedicates time and service to give it to you. And it, that, that takes sacrifice. He's trying to create an appetite in us for the things of God. We've got to quit filling ourselves up with things that are of the world. Sorry, guys. I'll, I'll be back in kids' church next week. <laughs> one time, moving on. I'll talk about myself. This is the one I struggle with. One time I made homemade cinnamon rolls, okay? I worked, I think, all day. I think it was the first time I'd ever made them, and I read the recipe. I thought I paid good attention. I thought that I was doing a great job, and honestly, they looked so good. So we ate dinner, and then I fixed Louis a cinnamon roll, me, the kids, whatever. And I go to take a bite of the cinnamon roll, and I immediately spit it out in disgust. It was, it was horrible. And I looked at it, Louis, and I said, how are you eating this? He was like, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> I was like, wow, you should have thrown that in the trash. Why are you sitting? I mean, he was literally choking down every bite with a smile on his face. And I'm like, why are you eating this? This cinnamon roll looked good, y'all. It looked very good. But somehow, I don't know how, honestly, I still don't know how, I put salt in place of sugar. I don't know how I did it, but I put salt instead of sugar. So the cinnamon rolls tasted like pure salt. They were bitter. And this is something that sometimes our appetites might reveal about ourselves, that um, we are self-righteous. Our appetites reveal a reality that behavior modification cannot fix us. We can try so hard to appear a certain way and to do all of the things, to look good, but God sees the inside of us, and he knows that there is salt instead of sugar. He knows the truth. He knows that there is disgust instead of pureness in our hearts, and our appetites reveal our self-righteousness. An appetite of self-righteousness is pride, and I've lived this a lot sometimes not even realizing it, just wanting to please people and be right and look a certain way. But God doesn't want us to worry about the way that we look. Appetites of pride cheat us. They cheat us of our God-given destiny because we demand our own way. They cheat us of contentment because we think we deserve better than this. They cheat us of knowledge because we already know it all. They cheat us of healing and growing because we're too full of ourselves. They cheat us of holiness because we refuse to admit that we're wrong. They cheat us of vision because we'd rather look in the mirror than look out a window. Self-righteousness cheats us of genuine relationship because no one can know the real us. It cheats us of God's glory because we seek our own. When... Righteousness cannot be conformity to a code of conduct. It can't be behavior modification. It has to be something that happens inside of our heart. And later on in the Beatitudes, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus say to be perfect, to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. But this cannot be done on our own to grow, to be more like Jesus. We must not let our standard of righteousness be other people. Yes, it's easy. Pastor could probably come up here and decide not to grow anymore. He could think that maybe he's outgrown everyone, but his standard of righteousness is Jesus. That's who he compares himself to, and we will always strive to grow if our standard of righteousness is Jesus. We need to hunger to be more like him. 
Righteousness is the surrender of our rights for the sake of the greater good and God's glory. Bruce Waltke said it like this. I love this. The righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of their community. The only way that our appetite can truly be satisfied is if we find it in Jesus. We must find our righteousness in him and in him alone. We can't find it. We can't continue to fill ourselves up with things of the world or numb ourselves out or eat unhealthy diets. We must dig and we must seek the righteousness of God. He's the one that fills us. It says, and they will be satisfied and they will be filled. They will not satisfy themselves. They will not fill themselves. He does that. Jesus did that for us. He disadvantaged himself for our good. We were enemies of God, yet he came and made us righteous. I am thankful to have a pastor who seeks, who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, not to appear right before people, but because he longs to be the heart of God. He longs to disadvantage himself for the community, for us, for us to learn, for us to grow, for us to receive what we need to receive. We can never learn. We could never earn it ourselves. And it's taken me a long time to learn that because I think I'm an earner. But I love that I can just bask in the beauty of the gospel, that while we were enemies with God, he disadvantaged himself for us to be made right with him. So today, let your appetite be God. Let your appetite change to desire what he desires and love what he loves. It exceeds our human capacity. It requires you to be dependent on the king's identity. And Pastor Josh, you do that. You do that. You walk in dependency on Jesus. And I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for all that you've fed us, all that you've done to help us grow. And I thank you that you had an appetite for God and for the, the real things, and it changed my appetite. And I want to do that for other people. So.